Well, I think if you can tell God's going to do something amazing by the amount of trouble you have getting into something, somebody's going to get a major breakthrough today because, wow, Oh, thank you, Jesus. What a week, what a morning. I don't know. Anyway, Ray, it's probably just a little louder than it needs to be. It's feeling like it's going to feed back, and I can always uh, speak up a little bit too, okay? So, brand new microphone for me, so might just take a minute getting used to it. Praise God. How many of you glad you're here? Isn't this great? We're finally starting to be able to be together again. And I don't know, sitting on the couch watching TV. The first two weeks was really weird. And then it kind of got a little too comfortable. You know what I'm talking about? It just got a little too comfortable. And then the first week back, it was like, oh, I kind of missed the couch. (laughs) But now it's like, wow, am I ever glad to see everybody back? It's so good. And it is just a joy to uh, to see many of you here. We've got some new faces and some folks that haven't been around in a while. We haven't seen you. It's awesome. Praise God. Well, you can, if you've brought your Bible, and you know, when I'm teaching, you kind of probably want to have a Bible. I used to tell people, you know, if you uh, if you've got your Bible in your notebook, then you're uh, you're in good shape. And if you don't like to write in your Bible, I used to say, go buy a cheap Bible that you don't mind writing in and bring that, uh, because uh, there's there's always something that God's going to drop into your heart. And I really think, I seriously believe that somebody's really going to get a bit of a breakthrough today. There's just something that is uh, God's put on my heart that I, I think is going to really touch somebody. So before I get into the specifics of what I want to share today, I, I feel like I just need to give you a bit of background and set the set the scene. So first, I, I kind of want to set the timing of the story. And this story takes place immediately before Jesus' crucifixion, which is right after he and the disciples have shared a meal together. And uh, that would be the meal that we commonly refer to as the Last Supper. And, uh, you know, this is really kind of a time of unexpected twists and turns for the disciples. Uh, you know, if you think about it, um, they've, they've sort of gotten into this pattern of following Jesus around and everything's nice and comfortable. And, you know, they, they, for, the Bible never says that the disciples went hungry or that the disciples didn't have enough. And I think probably if you have Jesus with you, you're probably going to do just fine. Um, and, you know, so they've they've been in that place. And Jesus has started to say to them, I'm going to be leaving. And that makes them really uncomfortable. And it starts to make things a little bit uncertain. Secondly, I want to point out that this story exists in all four Gospels. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke devote about a half to three quarters of a chapter to the whole story. John devotes four and a half chapters to the story. So there is something about this that really touches the heart so the three disciples or the three gospels that really deal more with the facts and figures and just who did what and how it all happened, give it a half a chapter. But John, who deals with the matters of the heart and the matters of the soul, he's got this, this long stretch that deals with this couple of hours, actually. Um, so there's a lot of detail here. Third, Jesus has been spending the last few weeks of his life 
hinting to the disciples that he's about to be taken prisoner by the religious leaders, turned over to the Romans, and killed. Now, you know, the disciples are not overly excited about that idea. And um, they uh, initially try to convince Jesus that it's not a good idea. Jesus, I don't think that's a good idea. Maybe, you know, you should be a little bit more... Uh, sorry, that's throwing me off. Thank you. All of a sudden, somebody's watching on Facebook and I can hear it. So it's completely... I apologize. Okay, the disciples are not really overly excited about hearing that Jesus is going to die and leave. And they try to convince Jesus that's not a good idea. And as part of that, Jesus, you know, and Peter have this little interchange where Peter says to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I don't think that's a good idea. You shouldn't need to be doing this. And Jesus turns around and says to him, get behind me, Satan. So I think all the disciples had a little huddle after that and said, okay, let's not try that again. That didn't work out very well. Um, and so instead, what they start doing is they start negotiating as to who's going to be in charge when Jesus leaves. So they have this kind of argument going on all the time. And if you look at the story in Luke's gospel, in chapter 22, you find that even as the group leaves the Last Supper, they start arguing again about... Who should be in charge and how should this all work? And uh, so on the way to the garden where Jesus has that turmoil and prayer and everything else, they're still bickering about who ought to be the boss. And it's pretty obvious from the context that Peter is starting to win that argument. He's starting to throw his weight around and insist that it ought to be him who gets the job. And... Um, The conversation that we're going to look at this week and in next week starts at that point in the garden. And it begins in John chapter 13, verse 31, where again, Jesus says, guys, it's time. I am going to be with you just for a little while. And then he says, and where I'm going, you cannot follow. Four of the disciples then ask Jesus a really specific question. Related to that final announcement. And Peter asks the first one. And then Thomas asks a question. And that's the Thomas that we often refer to as doubting Thomas. Then Philip asks the third question. And then another disciple named Judas. And this is not Judas Iscariot. This is a different Judas. Not the one that betrayed Jesus. He asks Jesus a fourth question. And really, all four of them are asking a similar question. They all want to know what's next. Now what? And you know, I think there's a bunch of us looking at the world around us thinking the same thing. We're, we're kind of puzzling at the world around us thinking, okay, now what? Where are we going from here? I know that Pastor Scott and Yvette and a lot of the other leaders in the church are sort of asking that question about the church. I know many of you got school-aged kids. You're asking that question about school. Like, now what? What's next? What do we do? How do we move forward? I know that some of us are asking that question about whether or not we should maybe head into the office and start working or keep working from home. It's like, what next? And the question is, how do we react to uncertainty? 
How do we react to uncertainty? You know, I remember the very first time, and Pastor Scott found this picture of these stairs, and I thought, that's perfect. I, I remember the very first time going down, I think it's called the Sky Screamer at West Edmonton Mall. Anybody gone down that water slide? And, and if you've gone down it, you know exactly what happens. You stand, like when you're looking at the ground, looking, it, it's like, no, it's not that steep. It's not that bad. You know, it looks all right. And then you get up to the top, and all you can see is this water rushing over the edge into nothing. And it's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of stairs to go down if I chicken out. That way's going to be a lot faster, but that does not look very safe. And I, I think some of us sort of feel that way about the next steps in life. It's like, okay, God, I... I trust you, but I don't know if I trust you that much. It's like, man, I looked at this from the outside and it didn't look bad, but now that I'm here, it's like, what am I going to do? You know, let's look at Peter's question and Jesus' answer. John chapter 13 starts in verse 36. Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. So Peter says to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I would lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? I'm telling you that by the time the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll have denied that you even know me three times. Now, Uh, There's always a little bit of humor in everything Jesus does. I don't know if you've noticed that. But can you imagine the look on Peter's face right now? I mean, he's just come out of an argument with a bunch of guys and started to win the argument that he should be in charge when this is all over. And now Jesus kind of pops his balloon and says, by the time the rooster crows in the morning, you'll have denied three times you even know me. It's like, I can only imagine Peter has this kind of stunned look on his face. Right. But the, the the thing here is that Jesus doesn't stop there. OK, just because our Bibles put a chapter verse right or a chapter break right there doesn't mean that the dialogue stops. So Jesus goes right from saying the the rooster will crow. Bef- the rooster won't crow before you even know me. And, and he says right after that, he says, don't be troubled by what I said. You trust God. Trust me, too. In my father's house, there are many places to live. If there weren't, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'll return to take you with me so that where I am, you can be also. Besides, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. Now, I'm going to pause there for, for the week, and we'll look at what Thomas says in the rest next week. But there's a very clear message here that Jesus is giving Peter. And it's something that applies to you and I as well. When you're facing uncertainty, number one, your own ingenuity is not going to be enough. You can put that up on the screen there, right? There we go. Your own ingenuity is not going to be enough. Only your trust in God's love for you is going to get you through. You know, think about this. 
Jesus knows that Peter's about to deny him three times. And yet, Jesus says to him, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and where I'm going, I'm going to come back and get you and bring you there with me. The love that Jesus has for Peter completely eclipses the, 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 the fragile nature of Peter's heart. He means well, but he doesn't always follow through. And you know, when you and I are facing uncertainty, we've got to be sure of that same thing. We've got to be sure that God has us on his heart. God's looking out for you. He's looking out for you. And that brings me to the second thing, and that is this. You can be confident that God has every moment of your future in his hands. You might be unsure of what's going to happen next, but God knows the future. And he is promising you that the future is good. In fact, why don't you just say that with me? Say, God's got my future. And my future is good. Do you believe it? Yeah. You know, you might be watching, watching the web stream. Say it at home. You you might be listening in the gym with your earbuds in and somebody's going to hear you. It doesn't matter. Just say it with me again. Just say, God's got my future. And my future is good. Amen. Now, you know, there is a backstory here that most of you won't see. And until you understand it, you won't really understand what's going on here in this whole situation. Now, I first heard about this in the early 90s, long before the Internet, and had to do a bunch of work to research this out. And to the best of my knowledge, it's accurate and it's correct. In the tradition of the day, where this story takes place. When a young man wanted to marry a girl, he would work out an arrangement with her father, and then at the time agreed by the father, he would meet the family for a meal. And this young man, the suitor for the for the young woman, would come over to her family, they'd sit down, they'd have a meal together, and then the... Um, the meal would be followed by a very interesting tradition. After supper, the groom would take a cup. He'd pour wine or whatever into it and offer it to the girl. And he would accompany that with his offer of marriage. And he would say to her, take this cup and drink it. This cup is my offer of a covenant of marriage. Now, if she took the cup and drank it, she was accepting his offer. And at that point, the two were considered married except for the physical relationship. Sex had to wait for a while yet. And you know, this arrangement was so serious. Now think back just for a minute to Mary and Joseph when Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit with Jesus. The Bible says that Joseph considered divorcing her, putting her away. They weren't married yet. They had gone through that ceremony, and it was so serious that he would have had to divorce her in order to break that covenant. Now, at this point, if she 
drank the, the juice or the wine, accepting his proposal, he would tell her, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then he would go back to his father's house to live and begin to build a home for his new family. The young lady had no idea when he was going to return for her. Because the the groom didn't actually get to decide when he would return. Because what would happen is he'd get busy building a house and his father would supervise the building of the house. And eventually the father might say, no, 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 you can't do it like that. You have to fix it. That's not a house for a family. You have to do it like this and like this and would correct his approach. And eventually one day the father would look around and say, son, this is a house fit for a family. You can go get your bride. And so then, you remember the stories about the the bride who would not know when the groom was coming and then he would try to, to trick her and surprise her by showing up? But of course, you know, she's got friends and and he's got friends and parents have friends. And so there's this little bit of a watchful eye on the house that's getting built. And then as it's almost ready, the word gets back to her to say, you better be ready because one of these days he's coming. It's an amazing parallel, isn't it? See, in the meantime, the girl would live in her father's family's house and would use the cup that he gave her in proposing as a way of remembering him. And each time she'd have a meal and use the cup, she would remember and everyone would know she was promised to a husband. The young man, like I said, would work to build a house. And one day the father would say, go ahead And get your bride. Remember how Jesus said to his disciples, no man knows the day or the hour. Even the son himself does not know, but only the father in heaven knows. What an amazing parallel. See, we read this interchange between Jesus and Peter, but what we don't see is that Jesus has drawn on some symbols that the disciples understood very well. In effect, when they had supper together, Jesus proposed a covenant to them. Now, it wasn't a covenant of marriage, but he did say to them, take this cup and drink it. This is a new covenant between you and me, between God and man. And when they drank it, they were accepting his offer. And then he says to them, now I'm going to prepare a place for you. Where I'm going, you can't come now. But when I have a place prepared, I'll come back and I'll get you and you can come with me. See, Jesus isn't scolding Peter for being disloyal or impetuous or 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 inappropriate somehow. You know, I think if this was a husband speaking to his bride, he might be saying to her, listen, even if you're embarrassed for some reason to tell others that you are now my bride, I will still love you. And you will still be mine. And I'll still provide for you and look after your needs. And you know, even if we allow doubt to creep in and wonder if God is actually in control, does he really have me on his heart? Is he really watching over me? Now, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for a long time. And I'm just going to be very honest with you. There are days I look at God and say, Where are you? Are you even paying attention? 
And you know, God doesn't say, shush, don't talk like that. God reaches out and says, I'm here. I'm right here. I'm looking after you. I've got it. I've got it. God continues to watch over us and care for us regardless of our doubts, our uncertainties, our fears. It doesn't put him off. He continues to watch and care. Now, during the time that he was building a home for his bride, the groom would immediately take on responsibility to provide for his new bride. And even though they generally didn't see each other at all during this time, if she had a need, her father would let the groom's father know, and the groom was responsible to provide. You know, even though we don't have Jesus here physically with us, we know he provides for us. We know that every need we have is met in him. And next week we'll see how much further we get in John 14. But for this week, I just simply want to reinforce those two simple thoughts. And that is that number one, your own ingenuity isn't going to be enough. Only your trust in God's love is going to get you through a time of uncertainty. Only your, your confidence that what God is, is saying and doing for you will be enough. And you know, when you can't figure it out, remember something. Jesus already has it figured out for you. And number two, as I said, you can be confident that God has every moment of your future in his hands. Don't know what to do about sending your kids to school? God knows. God knows. And he's happy to give you his wisdom and guidance. I know some of us struggle to find it, but can I just encourage you with this? I don't know about you, but for me, looking backwards over my life, I can say, hmm. You know, I must be hearing God's voice because there's been a lot of things that worked out right for me. God did a lot of things for me that I struggled to know what his will was. But on the other side, looking back, I can think, huh, you know, I must have heard it. You know, maybe you struggle to hear God's voice. You know, I would challenge you to, to, to rethink that. I don't think you do. I think you hear better than you than you think you do. God guides our decisions. He guides our steps. He helps us in our weaknesses and in the things we don't know. You know, seriously, don't know about heading back to work? God knows. Not sure you even have a job to go to? Maybe you're still in a temporary layoff like so many I know. God knows. He's got a place for you. He's got you cared for. He's, he's got your back. He's watching over you. Are you anxious about catching that virus and getting sick? God understands. He's not put off by your anxiety or by your being uptight. He says, give me your cares and your anxieties and I will give you rest. Well, these are uncertain times. They're stressful times for many people. 
Now, maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening on the web or or listening in a podcast and you'd say, you know, I don't know that I really know God's got my future. I'm not so sure that my future is good. I'm not so sure that that God is 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 watching over me. You know, if you've never prayed a simple prayer to ask Jesus to come into your life and to establish that relationship with you that allows you to have that confidence to know God is in control of my life. God is for me. He's not against me. If you've never prayed a prayer asking Jesus to come into your life, whether you're here today or whether you're watching on the web, whether you're listening to a podcast, in just a minute, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. That's just a prayer inviting God to get involved with your life, acknowledging that you can't do it on your own. You know, maybe this isn't the first time you've prayed a prayer asking Jesus to come into your heart. But you know, life can be tough. And like Peter, you found yourself kind of saying things and doing things that later you wish, I wish I hadn't done those things. You know, God knows, God forgives, God sees, God continues to love us. I'm just going to ask everyone here to just simply pray that prayer along with me. It just goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. From this day forward, I want to turn and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, especially if you prayed it for the first time, would you do one thing for me? And that is, would you come and talk to me or to to Veronica or to Pastor Scott or Yvette? And just let us know. If you're here, you can catch up with us after the service and just tell us. Just say, I I prayed that prayer for the first time today. We just want to encourage you. Just pray with you for a minute. If you're listening on the web or listening to a podcast, you can you can reach out to us, office at victorylifechurch.ca. Send us an email and we'd love to just encourage you and pray for you. With that, I want to just pray and then I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Scott. But Father, I want to pray for each one that's here. Father, in those seasons where we're responding to uncertainty and and the uncertainty can seem overwhelming, Father, I pray that you would continue to make your presence felt in our lives. Father, where we're anxious, let your peace just flood into our hearts. God, we want to hear your voice letting us know it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. God, when we're standing at the top of the water slide, looking at the torrent of water going down and just not sure if we should jump. God, I want to thank you that you've got our, you're holding our hand all the way. 
whether it's deciding about sending kids to school, whether it's someone who needs a job, whether it's someone who's got a loved one who's sick and you're worried. God, I thank you that you are there, you watch and you see, you care, and you meet every need that we have. And I'm so thankful for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, thank you guys for tuning in online. Thanks for coming uh, this morning. Um, you know, we want to just end the service uh, this way. If if you need prayer, again, um, you know, we're here for you. If you're online and you need prayer, all you have to do is reach out online and we can uh, connect with you and uh, make sure that your uh, prayers are being answered. We have an, actually, we have an online connect card for those of you that are here today as well. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you just simply go to our website, click on the button that says connect card, fill out that connect card and, 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 you know, let us know, uh, what you thought of the service. Let us know any prayer requests that you have, uh, how we can help you in any way. So you can do that, um, you know, when you're live here or online as well. Cool. Well, God bless you guys. And that's it for our online message today.